Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. What does your soil need for a thriving garden? Today, America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, tackles your question about what you should add or not add to your soil. And it's winter tomato time. What? Yeah, you can grow tomatoes in the winter, but you need to grow them in the right environment with the right varieties. It's wintertime tomato growing success today on Garden Basics. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we're brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Let's go. like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. Debbie Flower is here with her expertise, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor. And Debbie, we get a question from Eric in Rockland. All righty. Hi, Fred. This is Eric from Rockland, California. I have a large vegetable garden that I regularly amend with organic matter, including chicken manure, sawdust, grass clippings, and straw. And I need to know if I need to at some point amend that amend my vegetable garden soil with also some kind of mineral. Uh, Thanks to you and Debbie in advance. Thank you, Eric, for the question. You might be overthinking this one. Yeah, well, the first question that comes to mind for me is, I mean, it sounds like it's an outdoor garden and he's in field soil. But is that really what happened? A lot of people have a raised bed and they purchase soil, which isn't really soil. It's organic media. And grow in that. But either way, it works. You can grow in a soilless media. That's what all the plants and containers at a nursery are in, and it works in a raised bed. Or you can amend the field soil that you have, and that means starting with the soil, which is mineral-based in the ground, and mixing in other things. All the organics Eric mentioned are possibilities. Or you can plant into the field soil that is mineral-based, probably has some organic matter in it, and use the organics as mulch. What percentage of commercial potting mix would you use in field soil? I don't amend at all. I use it only as mulch. So this is advice for other people. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? Depends how frustrated I am. Mm -hmm. For instance... I had some geraniums growing, pelargoniums growing in the backyard, and they weren't growing much at all. Mm -hmm. And so last week I decided, okay, it's fall, time to move things out, move new ones in. Took out the pelargoniums and then started digging. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't work with a shovel. I needed the pick because it was solid rock. Mm -hmm. So basically those uh, pelargoniums were just resting on a thin layer of soil. Which is why they were doing nothing. And... uh, more than likely, if I missed watering for a few days and the water table is very shallow as far as what it can hold in that space, yes. it, it dried out. They would wilt. All yes. right. So I got out the pickaxe and started chopping a hole. 
And I learned this when I had acreage in heavy clay soil. You dig or pickaxe as deep as you can for as long as you can, which in my case is about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Fill the hole with water. Mm-hmm. Come back the next day. Dig a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, just do it until you get to the depth that you want. All right. So I've taken out a lot of rock. Mm-hmm. I don't have much choice but to put in other matter there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you are creating a container in the soil. If the plant will live, I'm happy with it. Right. That then, if I had enough soil to go around, the maximum organic matter I would put in is 20%. Hmm. Okay. So that would then be a matter of digging out as much soil and rock and sifting it and getting the rocks out. Well, rocks aren't, well, it depends on the size. You, you can, can break a window with them. So they're pretty big. Well, yeah, they're, you know, a couple marbles easily, inch, two inch. Okay. You could keep some of those. You can you can mix those in. They make, you know, great spacing for an organic base material. But at that point, they're rocks. They're not minerals. I mean, they're rocks made of minerals, but they're not the mineral component of a soil. Eric, we're not suggesting you put rocks in the holes. No, we're no. not. No. We're not. I'm concerned about the hole. You're talking about, Fred, that you're going to have – it's going to act like a container. Right. You're going to have water sitting in the bottom for some period of time after you've watered it. You could – Plant in an organic soilless mix. In that case, I would add sand. So you're going to have to buy your mineral component, which would be probably sand, unless you go buy topsoil, and mix that in with the organic matter. In the big containers I grow in, which are the um, four foot long by, I think it's two feet high and two feet wide, um, troughs, when I have filled those, they're they're... Water troughs for right, yeah, yeah cattle, cattle water troughs. Uh, I have bamboo in those, and and <laughs> I always find that funny. <laughs> and I have seen lots of them used for other things. I tried to put a large amount of the rock components in, so into the mix for what purpose? Because the organic part is going to break down and compact, and the spaces between the organic. As the particles get smaller, the spaces between the organic particles get smaller, and the ability of that media to hold air and water is reduced. And so the rocks, even the ones you're talking about, one to two inch, provide an opening, a structure around which this media can go, and that at least puts some air spaces and water spaces in that media, even when the the organic matter is breaking down. Now, at this point, you're supposed to tell me, well, you're trying to plant right in front of a raised bed. Why don't you just put it in the raised bed? I didn't know that part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the voice in the back of my head telling me, mm-hmm. just to, you're working too hard. Yeah. But what, what are you using in your raised beds? C- commercial soil. That is soil less or it's, no, it's a it's, mix from... It's good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's a mix with mineral right. components. Yeah. Field soil, ideal field soil is 50% air, 50% water. And that's both of those are in the open space. It's about, uh, 45% mineral and two to 3% organic matter. I was surprised to learn how little organic matter actually is uh, comprising in a soil. It's mm-hmm. like, if you're lucky, 5%. Right. That's amazing. Right. Right. And, if you live in a cooler place, that might change things because the breakdown of the organic matter is much slower. 
although the presence of organic matter in a natural system in a, in a very cold place may be much less. But you can have an organic soil and you can grow in it. You just have to learn to work with what you have. Right. And one thing that is spurring me on to keep digging with the pickaxe is the fact that these plants are going to be watered by hand. Mm-hmm. That way I know they stand little chance of being overwatered. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking if I am putting basically an in-ground container mm-hmm. in there with what I'm doing, I don't think there will be standing water for too long. That would be something to test before you plant it. How when, long it takes to drain. How long it takes to drain. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a old thing I used to talk about a lot, that when you dig a hole for planting, if you have layers of hard pan or slow draining clay, is to fill that hole up with water and notice how long it takes to drain. Right. Does it drain? Does it take longer than 24 hours to drain? Right. Then you're in trouble. Then you're in trouble. And if it, uh, and you, some would say, well, what about 48 hours? Well, you're pushing it then. But if there's still water in it after 48 hours, definitely you want to plant up, not plant down. And the other option is if it drains immediately, Woof. then you know that plants, it's got to be a plant that can handle uh, dry side. Yeah. Moisture. And the reason for that could be, oh, you you hit a gopher run. <laughs> yes, that's very true. <laughs> yes. That uh, has happened, yes. Or you have really, really sandy soil. Yes. Yeah, uh, well, that, that's a whole other show in itself as far as uh, how water spreads in, in, in different soil media. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied Smart Pot owners who have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose Smart Pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate Smart Pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in Smart Pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of Smart Pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the Smart Pot. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. So what makes for a successful garden soil? Let's continue our conversation with Debbie Flower. But in Eric's case here, wondering how much mineral to add when we don't know really what's in the soil, I would think a soil test is in order. Yes, I agree. A soil test is in order. And you know some great places to get that done. 
It's amazing the number of universities scattered throughout the country that will do it for a very reasonable fee. If you have priced soil tests, you know they can be rather pricey, over yes. $100 yes. or so. And the University of Massachusetts, Colorado State University, and Texas A&M for three do soil testing at very reasonable rates. And we'll have links to all three of their soil testing services in today's show notes. And it's probably not going to give you all the details you want, but it's going to give you the primary details, including what you need to add to your soil. So they will return a soil texture. Yep. So that sand, silt, clay, and then there are the, you know, silty loam, sandy clay, the, the, the modifications in there. Loam is what you want, but your most people, many people will not have that. You can work with what you do have. But it'll tell you that that has to do a lot, a lot to do with, uh, your watering practices. And then it will also tell you your pH. So that's your alkalinity or acidity. Anything around seven is good. 5.5 to 6.5 is what I learned at Rutgers on the East Coast. And then I came to Davis and they said, Oh, uh, 6.5 to 7.5. So again, that can be regional, what people consider to be acceptable, but anything right around seven is good. Not too far off seven, because it's a factor of 10 scale. And then you'll get some specifics about nutrients uh, available for plant use in the results. So nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. You can ask for other things. If you think you have lead in your soil, you can ask them to test that. They may or may not be able to do it. So uh, those are the things you will get out of a soil test. So my other thought about Eric's question about mineral is you can purchase things like green sand, which are a type of soil that contains nutrients as that as it breaks down over time, those nutrients become available to plants. A problem with adding things like green sand is it takes hundreds of years for them to break down. So that's typically not a source of nutrients. So no, you don't want to add minerals as a source of nutrients. Uh, unless, let's say, your pH is way out of whack, then you would add lime. Is lime considered a mineral? It's a mined product. Uh, or sulfur to modify your pH. Uh, other mineral uses in soil, I can't think of any more. Zinc, copper, and iron, are they considered minerals? Good question. They're elements. Yeah. Lime is calcium or calcium sulfate, calcium carbonate. So I guess, Eric, if we're not answering your question, call back and verify. Tell us more. Get a soil test and see what they say, too, about what your current condition is. I'm staring at a soil test I had the University of Massachusetts do on my backyard soil back in 2017, and it tested the soil pH numbers there, the macronutrients, the phosphorus, potassium, uh, along with uh, calcium, magnesium, and sulfur. Frankly, nitrogen results are kind of ridiculous because all soils are low in nitrogen. Yes, because it travels so easily in water and air. Uh, yeah, and becomes gas before you know it. But what's nice is they're giving you the value they found and an optimum range. Right. 
and the pH was 7.3. blood test from the doctor. Yeah, just like, yes, except they don't call me back for checkups (laughs) on the soil. They should. But micronutrients, too, boron, manganese, zinc, copper, iron, aluminum, lead. It even has a number for cation exchange capacity. (laughs) Uh, And and, and base saturation. I mean, a lot of these things are very collegiate and technical. Yes. Yes. But. May not, but they have a nice bar graph at the very bottom that shows you, uh, the, either the main ingredients, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, and magnesium, whether it's very low, low optimum or above optimum. And apparently, uh, I have overfed my soil. That's common. That's very common. Yeah. Yeah. So especially with the calcium, magnesium, phosphorus. Yes. And potassium was okay, but yeah. And that's, and this really comes down to, Taking the soil sample correctly. Yes, it does. Absolutely. And we, we should talk a little bit about that. I mean, all these places will give you explicit instructions on how to take it. Don't bypass those instructions because it can alter the results you get and may send you down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the simplest things that they will tell you is if you're using a scoop, Make sure it's a plastic scoop and not a metal scoop. Or you might leave flakes of metal and they'll detect those. Yeah. Use clean tools. Use a clean bucket. Don't take what's on the surface. Mm -hmm. You always want to scrape the surface clear. You don't want the plants that are there. You don't want the, the mulch that's there. Get down to soil. And to even ensure that you get a good sample, too, is maybe remove an entire plug of soil, go down eight or nine inches and make, you know, like you're making a pie and and then lift up that whole thing and then take your sample from inside that. Mm, That's a lot of digging. That's a lot of digging. And to, to make it even more digging, that sample that you send them should be a sampler of multiple holes in your garden. Right. So if you want the whole vegetable garden, don't take it from the edges. Take it from a variety of spots within the vegetable garden and mix them together. So if you manage the area, the whole area the same way, you mulch it the same way, you fertilize it the same way, you water it the same way, then you take it from a variety of places in that area. If you have a specific area that is a problem, it's managed differently somehow, then isolate that and take your samples from there. Right. Yeah. If you are dealing with a particular problem and you want to get a soil test done, just do it in that particular spot. But be very careful in in taking those samples. Follow the directions. It it should be not completely dry, but fairly dry soil. Yeah. They used to dry them in an oven. Where did I see that? Laboratories, plant science laboratories. Mm -hmm. They take your sample and dry it in an oven and then work on it. Right. Whatever you're using to do all this, uh, make sure there there's no metal involved. Right. You want a, a plastic bucket, a plastic trowel. Right. And if you contact them, they will send you a container to ship it in, correct? Some will, some don't. Others will just say put it in a plastic bag. Oh, okay. To a double bag it. Mm-hmm. And, and ship it that way. But make sure it's it, it, it meets their parameters as far as how much. And they may want a full cup. Mm-hmm. So that might be a, a fairly sizable number of samples that you'd be sampling from and try to take the samples equally from from all, the locations all, from all the different locations yeah but yeah collecting it it's it's all part of the scientific process it is yeah it is all right garbage in garbage out there you go eric hope that helps uh, get a soil test done and like i say those three universities do offer uh 
nice economical soil testing packages available, um, Massachusetts Amherst, Colorado State, and Texas A&M. So check it out. Debbie, thanks for doing some digging with us. Yeah, I'll enjoy it. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams, but maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions, such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. If you really want to demonstrate to your friends what a great investment your greenhouse is, well, here's a little trick. Serve them homegrown tomatoes on New Year's Day. Now, here's what you'll need to do to grow greenhouse tomatoes for the winter. First of all, you need to choose the right tomato. For the typical hobby greenhouse, it might be 8x5 or 8x10 or 8x12, the cool season determinate tomatoes are the varieties that do best. They tend to be fairly compact plants that are under 4 feet tall. They don't put on lots of growth after they set fruit. Determinate tomatoes usually ripen at the same time, so choose several tomatoes that will ripen at different times going from seed to fruit in 50 to 70 days. And to minimize any disease problems, choose tomatoes that have built-in disease resistance. They'll have letters like V, F, N, T, and A. V for verticillium wilt resistance, F for fusarium resistance, N for nematode resistance, T, tobacco mosaic virus, and A, alternaria fungus resistance. And here's the expensive part. You're going to need a warm greenhouse. So whether you warm your greenhouse via electricity or gas, you're going to need to keep that greenhouse warm, even at night. To grow tomatoes in a greenhouse, you need to maintain a nighttime temperature range of 55 to 70 degrees, preferably above 60 degrees for tomatoes. Daytime temperatures should be in the 75 to 85 degree range. Tomatoes need light. Now, there isn't that much sun in the wintertime. It's kind of low in the horizon. So if you haven't installed a greenhouse yet, think about where it should be to get the best advantage of a low angle sun during the cold months. Make sure the building isn't shaded by any evergreen trees or other structures. You will need artificial light to aid the process. There are many artificial lighting systems available. We've talked in the past about LED systems. Fluorescent lights are probably the most economical. You can use four 40-watt, 48-inch long fluorescent tubes side-by-side, keeping them about 8 to 12 inches above the plant. Although standard shop lights are okay, investing in Grolux wide-spectrum fluorescent tubes will give your tomatoes more of the light spectrum that they can use. And you're going to find that same light spectrum in LED lights as well. The choice is yours. 
And, of course, you're going to be planting in the greenhouse soil. But there are issues with that. If you plant directly in the soil that's at the bottom of the greenhouse, that soil needs to drain readily. Make sure it's been amended with organic matter and it isn't compacted. Building raised beds into the floor of your greenhouse works best. Make the sides of the raised beds about 8 to 16 inches high, at least 18 inches wide. The bed can be framed by a number of things, including untreated wood, blocks, bricks, or whatever your imagination tells you. You can even grow tomatoes in plastic 5-gallon pots, but larger works better, such as half barrels. And if you don't want to spend money on half barrels, a 5-gallon or a 15-gallon plastic pot does wonders. And another great container choice, if you'll excuse the plug, smart pots. These flexible fabric containers can grow anything you want in a greenhouse in the wintertime, summertime too. But fill it with the best potting soil you can find. There's a lot of good brands on the market. Ask around, do your homework before you buy a lot of potting soil. The ideal time to get your winter tomatoes started, actually, late September. Keep the seed beds evenly moist. Although the cooler temperatures of the fall and winter will cut down on the amount of water that tomatoes need, a drip system connected to a timer will ensure that the plants get the moisture they need. Four to eight gallons of water per week per plant should be plenty. And plants, too, also tend to slow down their growth in the colder months, so cut your dosage of your favorite tomato fertilizer by half and maybe apply it once a month. So how do you pollinate your tomato plants? Well, in nature, bees and the wind do most of the tomato pollination. In the greenhouse, you can accomplish that same task by either gently shaking or holding an old electric toothbrush next to the plant or twirling a small brush inside a tomato flower to transfer the pollen. And having a running fan is a great idea because not only will it help the plants pollinate, it will also help develop a sturdier plant. Now, here's the part they don't like to tell you about, the pests. In a greenhouse, whiteflies can be the toughest challenge. Monitor populations with yellow sticky traps. When you catch a few, take action. Maybe insecticidal soap or narrow-range oils are effective, as is a blast of water applied on a regular basis on all the leaf surfaces. And frankly, if one of those tomato plants is heavily infested with whiteflies, just get rid of the plant. Put it in the trash. Don't compost it. Put it in the trash. All right, and here's why you tuned in. Which greenhouse tomato varieties are best for the colder months? There are several. Now, all of these are determinate varieties. They ripen between 54 and 66 days, 68 days. And the plant themselves don't get that big, maybe three, four feet, maybe five feet at the most. So some of my favorites that I've used over the years include Bush Early Girl, Bush Beefsteak, Oregon Spring Five, Polar Baby, Prairie Fire, Red Robin, Silets, Subarctic Maxi, Tumbler, and 506 Bush. 506 Bush only gets 18 inches tall, and they're pretty drought tolerant, too, and they actually produce medium-sized tomatoes. And by the way, the tomatoes we're talking about, maybe at most 6-ounce tomatoes. Some might get up to 8 ounces, but generally speaking, 4 to 6 ounces is the usual size for many of these tomatoes. Cherry tomatoes, of course, do well in a greenhouse in the wintertime. But remember, most cherry tomato plants are indeterminate, which means they will just fill your greenhouse with a nice green jungle. I'll have a link to this information in today's show notes. 
If you listen to our chat with citrus grower Lance Walheim about citrus-infused beverages, you may have heard him mention that the zest or the rind can have a strong aroma even if that citrus tree is grown indoors. In the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, Lance has the tips for successfully growing a citrus plant indoors, no matter where you live. Find a subscription link to the newsletter in today's show notes, or visit our website, gardenbasics.net, where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast delivered to your inbox each Friday. Also at GardenBasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the Garden Basics podcast, as well as read a transcript of the podcast episode that you're listening to now. For current newsletter subscribers, look for How to Grow Citrus Indoors in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's coming out the morning of Friday, September 30th. It'll be in your email. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. And it's free. Find the link in today's show notes or at GardenBasics.net. We're going to our cool season podcast schedule beginning in October. So Garden Basics with Farmer Fred will come out once a week on Fridays. Plus, the newsletter podcast that comes along with the Beyond the Basics newsletter will also continue to be released every week. Both are free, and they're brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. The Garden Basics podcast is available wherever podcasts are handed out, including GardenBasics.net. And you can sign up for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast at our website, GardenBasics.net, or you can use the link in today's show notes. And thank you so much for listening.